Please be seated. First, some thank yous. Thank you all for being here on a hot day. We have a record number of deacons. We have 10 being ordained today, which means that you're probably sitting on one another's laps. But I'm glad you're here, and I know that the people who are being ordained are glad you're here. I especially want to thank those of you who have supported these candidates in the last few years, especially their spouses. So if you are a spouse of a candidate, would you please stand up and thank you for putting up with them for the last couple of years. And I also want to thank uh, the staff of the cathedral for hosting us today, the dean and his staff, and the altar guild of the diocese who who, uh, sewed these wonderful red stoles that the deacons will get today. So let's have a hand of applause for them as well. And last but not least... uh, I want to thank our, uh, our uh, leaders of the, of the deacons, our archdeacon Sarah and, and archdeacon, uh, not archdeacon, but in charge of the deacons academy, Robin, Deacon Robin, and have you stand up as well because this wouldn't be happening without you. Please. <clears throat> Let us pray together. Lord, take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. Amen. When you were in high school, what was your favorite summer job? Well, one year I had a great job that really doesn't exist anymore. I was an usher at a movie theater. I spent the summer of 1970, can you believe that, 1970, at the Lowe's Camelback Theater in Scottsdale's long been torn down. And I was there taking tickets, showing people to their seats, making sure that nobody was smoking in the theater, sweeping up popcorn and paper cups. And I also spent a lot of time standing around talking in the lobby and watching the same film over and over and over again. But I was also prepared for an emergency. I had my little flashlight. It gets very dark in there and knew what to do in case there would be an emergency and we would have to get everyone out of the building safely. Most of us know by now that the word deacon means literally in Greek a waiter. That's because the job of deacons in the early church was to distribute food to the poor. But it occurs to me that an even better translation of that word deacon might be usher. Ushers guide people in, they take care of them when they are sitting together, and then they make sure that they get out the doors at the end of the show and safely back into the parking lot. Deacons kind of do the same thing. Those sitting up here in the front learned in their classes how it's the job of a deacon to be a conduit between the needs of the world 
and the prayers of the church. Their job is to take the good news to the poor and to bring back the needs of the poor to the church. That's why a deacon carries the gospel book out into the midst of the people and reads it from there. That's why a deacon dismisses us at the end of worship with the words, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And that is why a deacon also encourages the rest of us to pay attention to the hunger, pain, and suffering that, it is, that is at our very doors. That sometimes means really getting in our faces and saying, Look it! There are homeless people right outside these doors. Well, there are depressed elderly folks at the nursing home. Well, there are lonely students in our college dorms. The deacon calls our attention to these situations. Or as our former archdeacon, Veronica Ritson, once said, it's the job of a deacon to be a holy pain in the ass. <laughs> the deacon is a two-way conduit between the church and the world. But isn't this kind of what an usher does? An usher brings the outside world in and sends the inside world out, the whole time making sure that while they're in the building, they are safe and cared for. A deacon does exactly that. Whether they are a vocational deacon or a transitional deacon on their way to eventual ordination as a priest, but more than just bringing people into the church, caring for them, and sending them back out again, they go one step further and remind us that at our baptism, we are, in fact, all called to be deacons, to care for one another, to invite them into the church, and to send them out inspired and energized to care for others. In my old parish, we used to have a sign that hung over the, the main door that everybody would see as they left the building. It said, the worship is over, now the service begins. We are all deacons. We are all ushers. Scholars now believe that the first ordained ministers in the church were, in fact, deacons. Before there were bishops... And before there were priests, there were deacons. That's why on some occasions, bishops actually wear the vestments of all three orders. They start with a dalmatic or a deacon stole, and over that they put a priestly stole, and on top of that they put a cope and mitre, reminding themselves and everyone else that they might be a bishop, but they're a deacon first. We have some priests here, they were deacons first. It used to be thought that the order of deacons was created because they were the only ones willing to do the social work services that nobody else in the early church wanted to be bothered with, like bringing food to the poor or caring for the sick. But I think there's more to it than that. I think deacons were created to remind the rest of us of what we ought to be about as Christians. There have always been two approaches to the Christian faith. I call them the introverted and extroverted approach. When most people hear the word religion, they think of detachment, contemplation, prayer, Bible reading, and meditation. 
The extreme form of this spiritual introversion can be a sort of escapism and an obsession with one's interior life. Such people like to spend a lot of time in church being quiet. They prefer sedate Gregorian chant and dignified worship services. Episcopalians generally tend to this style. As Garrison Keillor once pointed out, Episcopalians are naturally shy people. The opposite kind of spirituality is more extroverted and embraces social activism, community service, building projects, and large emotional upbeat worship services led by praise bands. One kind of spirituality is inwardly focused on God and the other is outwardly directed towards neighbor. But Jesus constantly reminds us that we have to be doing both things at the same time. We have to love God and love our neighbor. We have to live in that space between contemplation and action. The popular spiritual guide Richard Rohr puts it this way, Our religion is neither solely detachment nor attachment. It's a dance between the two. It's neither entirely isolation, as symbolized by the desert, nor is it complete engagement, as symbolized by the city. Jesus moves back and forth between the desert and the city. In the city, he feels himself losing perspective, love, and center. So Jesus goes out to the desert to discover the real again. And when Jesus is in the desert, his passionate union with the Father drives him back to the people in the city. A deacon is for us the symbol of what it means to live between the city and the desert, between prayer and contemplation. It wasn't always like this, you know. I had a chance to look over a statement on the diaconate that was written by the National Association for the Diaconate back in 1990. And it defines a deacon as one who, quotes, exercises servant ministry on behalf of the church. A few years ago, our own deacon's council came to me and said, we think this definition is incomplete. The deacon is not just a servant minister. The deacon teaches the rest of us to be servant ministers. And so we wrote a new statement. The deacon models for us what it means to be of service to others in the name of Jesus. Now, this is the last time, as your bishop, I will be ordaining deacons in this place. It's always been a pleasure. And at the latest count, I've ordained about 70 deacons in my time. Although I must admit, it has not always been easy to come up with a new sermon every year (laughs) for this occasion. But I am convinced more than ever that that the church needs to rediscover the servant ministry that deacons urge all of us to accept as our own. If you have been, if I have visited your church, rather, in the last few months, you will know that I've sort of been giving my swan song, my kind of last sermon to you. And that sermon usually has a lot to do with the question of why the early church grew so fast, 
Well, we today, all, of, all churches, all religious institutions today are in decline. What did those early Christians have that we don't? What was their secret? They certainly did not have the things that we think are necessary for the church to grow. They had no money, no social status, no buildings, no dogma, really. Those first men and women in the church were mostly poor. They came from the fringes of society. And yet, in about 300 years, they went from being a few hundred people to many millions of people who eventually controlled the entire ancient world. So what did they have that we don't? The answer, I think, is a strong sense of servanthood. They were the only group in the ancient world that actually took care of people in need. That's really hard for us to even imagine today with all of our social service agencies. They were the only group that took care of people in need. So for an example, in the early third century, there was a terrible plague in the city of Carthage. And everybody in the city was heading for the hills. They were fleeing for their lives. And the bishop of the church of Carthage, St. Cyprian, called everybody together. And he said, what are we going to do as a community? And everybody said, we're going to run as fast as we can. And Carthage said, uh, Cyprian said, no, we're not. We're going to stay here, and we're going to take care of the people who are sick. And people in his congregation said, that's crazy. We're going to die. And he said, yeah, some of us are going to die, but we'll die doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so they stayed. And that was the beginning of what became a very populous church in Carthage. People became Christians because they saw how Christians cared for people. Think about it. Where would we be today without the countless hospitals and clinics and schools and orphanages which the church has founded during its long history? Taking care of others is the prime directive of Christians. And it was because that Christians modeled this compassion for others that other people wanted to join them. One early church father, Tertullian, said, Christians don't say, read this or listen to this. Christians say, watch this. Watch us. Watch how we care for those on the margins. Watch how we side with the poor. Watch how we protect children. Care of the poor was just one virtue practiced by these early Christians. They were also known for their nonviolence, their acceptance of the stranger, even their willingness to die for the faith. They were countercultural, but they became extremely popular because they modeled something nearly everybody wanted love. Of these early Christians, it could easily be said you will know that they are Christians by their love. Yes, by their love. You shall know that they are Christians by their love. This high calling has always been hard, and it's going to get harder for us, whether we are deacons, priests, bishops, lay people. We live in a culture which has tried to replace every one of those 
early Christian virtues with its own secular agenda. Our government today may not be throwing Christians to the lions, but it mocks and subverts every Christian value. Instead of care for the poor, we live in a nation that seeks to disenfranchise the needy at every turn. Instead of welcoming the stranger, we separate children from their parents seeking asylum. Instead of providing health care, we do our best to make it a privilege rather than a right. And instead of seeking peace in the Holy Land, we back governments who murder their citizens. It would seem that in a rush to make America great again, we have forgotten how to make it good. It would seem that our new deacons and all of us have our work cut out for us. So, Patrice, Gary, Tara, Susan, Tanya, Kelly, Allison, David, Adrian and David, would you please stand? I have a charge for you this morning. As deacons, please remind us what the heck we're here for. Don't let us forget that the church is not ultimately about liturgy, beautiful buildings, and it's certainly not about politics and power. It's about love, and it's about servanthood. Be ushers for us as we come to church. Remind us of the pain that is outside these walls. And take care of us when we gather together, for most of us carry at least some of that pain in here with us. But most of all, usher us back out into the world to love and serve the Lord. Let us not forget the words of brave St. Cyprian, who said so many years ago to his flock, We do not speak great things, we live them. <laughs>